Welcome to Motherhood Feels. Hindsight is 2020. I'm Dr. Jill Garrett, a licensed psychologist who specializes in maternal mental health and host of Motherhood Feels Hindsight is 2020. Stay tuned for an engaging conversation with seasoned mom Elena Burt. In addition to momming her four children, Elena is an amazing realtor with Root Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, always comes to the table with positivity and contagious enthusiasm, and, as you'll hear, can tell you what a mouthful of pennies might taste like. Check her out next. Why don't we start with you just telling everybody your name? So my name is Elena. Okay. And then what about kind of some background? How many kids do you have? Do you want to tell us a little bit about how old they are? So yeah, I was born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida here. Um, I'm married to Nathan. I have four kids. Um, My oldest, Abigail, who's 12. Um, My second, Adelaide, who is eight. And then Leo, who is five, and Beatrix, who is two. Um, yeah, I'm a realtor here in Jacksonville, Florida, and that's, that's you. Okay, that's me. I like it. And automatically, I think when I hear four kids, I'm overwhelmed, and I'm wondering what's. This is not one of the typical questions I'm supposed to be asking, but I have to ask it anyway. What's the typical reaction you get when you present with four children? Um, yeah, there's there's a typical reaction. Actually, people say, well, you know how, how that happens, right? Or, oh, you must have your hands full. And uh, that those are the reactions. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. And for you, when you were growing up, or just um, kind of living life, was your plan to have four children or did you want more or less or did you have a vision? I, I didn't have a vision. Um, I did want kids, but I didn't expect to have four. Mm-hmm. Um, though I can tell you I four is the cap. Okay. That's our max. We're, we're happy with the four. Okay. And so talk to me about your journey in becoming a mom, obviously your oldest daughter is 12. So you've been a mom obviously for a number of years now. Mm -hmm. So give us a little rundown on about Abigail and kind of uh, leading up to Abigail. Leading up to Abigail. Okay. So I found out I was pregnant um, just before my 21st birthday that the month of. So July 29th of my birthday, I found out in July that I was pregnant, which was um, surprising to say the least because we had this huge 21st birthday like in a limo like all planned and then I started to experience really weird symptoms I started to taste pennies in my mouth oh a first and foremost and then was like totally grossed out by a myriad of foods like I couldn't smell anything everything smelled terrible to me mm-hmm. um, though I never really threw up it was like sun up to sundown and beyond nausea Mm. and I was like dang um so I took a test and it immediately was positive and I was like eight weeks pregnant wow by that point um yeah and and that was that was the journey to finding out I was pregnant so it sounds like it was a bit of a shock or maybe not planned it was not planned Uh uh-huh 
And what was your reaction when you had these probably unusual symptoms, but then you had the positive pregnancy test and not to mention this amazing sounding party on the horizon. <laughs> well, the party, I mean, that that went by the wayside pretty quickly. And we did still gather, but I felt so bad that it was like, it was not even in my brain. I yeah. was like, oh my God, I'm never, I'm not doing that. Um, but I mean, I was excited from moment one. I was just like, well, this is this is what we're doing. Um, and there, that was the only option in my mind mm -hmm. um, was to move forward with the pregnancy. Um, I was in a long-term relationship. We had been together for several years, me and her dad. So there was really no question mm -hmm. about how that was going to proceed. And we were excited. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then how long did you have pennies in your mouth? <laughs> Not long. That didn't last past the first trimester. Okay. Um, that's, that's just a really unusual symptom. I don't really hear people talking uh -huh. about that very often, but it was a very strong copper taste in my mouth. So with the pregnancy, you obviously um, continued on and um, you moved through that pregnancy period for the first trimester. Did you experience the, some of these same symptoms? Did you start feeling better? Did you feel worse? How are you physically or and emotionally doing throughout the whole pregnancy? Um, I'd say emotionally well. Um, the nausea didn't let up for me, though. Like, well, for a while. It let up around probably the end of the first trimester, but into the second trimester. But it was all day. Oh. It was it was like debilitating, debilitating. Like and and I even throughout you'll hear eventually throughout my four pregnancies, I that was just my thing. Mm -hmm. Was getting mm -hmm. so sick in the first sixteen to eighteen weeks. Ugh, it sounds horrible. And I'm wondering how you then decided to have <laughs> more children. I don't know. Feeling so horrible for so many months. I don't months. know. I mean, despite that mm -hmm. setback, mm -hmm. which is honestly like my worst nightmare, to mm -hmm. be clear, because I have emetophobia, mm -hmm. which is self-diagnosed. Mm -hmm. I've never been diagnosed that, but I tell you that's what I have. Um, I have an extreme fear of throwing up. Extreme. Mm -hmm. It dictates, a, it runs my life, actually. Oh, I didn't know this. Yeah. It's just an undercurrent about me that is just like, always on my mind. So that is, it's confusing where I had more kids because it's literally pushing me directly into my phobia. Well, and it sounds like you never did throw up. Not much. But I, I'm sure the fear was still it, there. The fear was so prevalent. It was, it was terrible. Mm -hmm. um, but once that subsided, the actual nausea, you know, into the second trimester, it was good. Okay. You know, like that from, you know, that point forward, it was very smooth. I never had like I mean, I, now saying this, I did have some things come up. Like I had low-lying placenta, which was a quick scare, but it did move. So um, that put a vaginal birth, birth at risk, mm -hmm. which was also big on the fear level for me. Like I did not want a C-section. Like that was like the last thing in my mind that I could do. Mm -hmm. um, so, but yeah, so aside from placenta, low-lying placenta, it was smooth sailing. Okay. So... Yep. So that moves us then into the delivery. Yeah. So give a little bit of a rundown on how you met Abigail. So around, so this was 12 years ago. Right. Um, so when I was getting close to the end of the pregnancy, they were, it was very much commonplace to induce. Mm -hmm. um, and not only induce, but induce prior to 40 weeks. Mm. Um, just for fun. Hmm. 
Yeah, sport. <laughs> and uh, so around 30, I guess 37 weeks, they were like, do you want to go ahead and get your induction on the books for huh. 39 weeks? Okay. And I was like, yeah, definitely. Like, why not? And I didn't, I'm, I'm not a big reader. <laughs> like, not a reader. Not a reader. I'm not intellectual. Uh, that's not true. But, um, <laughs> but I just, it just, nothing really goes wrong for me. Okay. Like, it just doesn't. Like, I just have this attitude that things are just gonna work out. Yeah. And, and, and it does usually. Um, and so 39 weeks, you know, I went in for induction. We went in, you know, early in the morning and we started Pitocin mm-hmm. right off the bat. Uh, I think I was too far for Cervidil all four times, which means I was, you know, slightly dilated, mm-hmm. I guess two centimeters or so. Um, so I went in with Pitocin and it started out good. Um, the only thing that, not the only thing, well, let me start here. I wanted unmedicated birth. Mm-hmm. I just felt like that was something that I could do. I felt like my body was made to do this. Did I prepare for it? No. Did I expect and want it to happen? Yeah. Um, so when I got into the hospital, I was like, listen, I don't have like a printed out birth plan or anything like that. That's not my vibe, but I don't want you to ask me about an epidural because mm-hmm. I just want to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And from that moment, I won't mention the hospital. Um, they very much laughed at that. Like mm. it was like a scoff, like, okay, well, we'll, okay, we'll see sort of thing. And it just really wasn't supportive at all Mm. for that environment, though they had told me like leading up to birth that it would be a supportive environment in that way. And it wasn't, Mm -hmm. it was very much, I'm, you're not going to be able to do that. Like no one believed in me. And that was that. So throughout the labor, you know, they would come in and not offer like, you know, they see like the contractions were ramping up and progress was being made, but they didn't offer any other kind of pain relief uh-huh. or any sort of Supports. support at all. Mm-hmm. They were just like, okay, like sing song. You will tell me when you're ready for that epidural. And mm. I'm like, okay, got it. And like, so by the time that things really intensified um, contraction wise, I didn't, I mean, I didn't believe I could do it because at that point, because no one else did. The confidence wasn't The confidence you. wasn't there. It wasn't like somebody being like, we got this. I've been through this before. Right. Like here, like, let's figure this out. No, it was like, you're going to want this. Mm-hmm. And well, I did want it after a while. So seven hours into the labor, I got the epidural mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it was great. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, pain went away, mm-hmm. which is good if that's what you want. Sure. Um, and yeah, I had her 12 hours in. Um, uh, one more thing prior to the actual delivery, she was, as she was descending, they said, the doctor said, well, you're going to tear. So I'm going to go ahead and do an episiotomy and cut me. Oh, my goodness. Um, so there is no consent there. So that plays back in my mind now, like how that was like, didn't feel like very participatory in that, you know procedure yeah yeah that I didn't want right uh or I didn't know enough about to know if I wanted or didn't want yeah so that was that um shortly after they made the cut she came right out you know no big deal I pushed her out on my back we pushed god maybe twice wow which is very much my thing (laughs) that we find out throughout the births (laughs) like I doesn't once I get to 10 it's like 
we're going to have a baby. Uh-huh. And that's the way it is. Um, Abigail came out and she was nine pounds, one ounce. Uh-huh. She had a little giant baby. Uh-huh. She looked, we joked, she looked fully cooked. Uh-huh. <laughs> fully cooked. This was like a three-month-old baby, like sitting in my arms. Like she looked right up at us. Like she was like, I know more than you. I have been places and I, I know you. Aww. So, um, so yeah, the birth of all in all, very good. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I remember it fondly. I look back and think there were some things I'd change. I would change about that. Right. Um, experience. And I don't actually go on to change that hospital or provider system until after my third birth. Okay. You know, spoiler, spoiler alert. Uh-huh. But, um, but Overall, it was a good experience. Well, it sounds like also with experience, you might have, I don't know the rest of the the stories, but it might be that you knew what you didn't want and what you did want more of after at least that experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So now thinking about the postpartum period, this is 12 years ago, you were younger. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just guess that maybe you were one of the first friends or people in your friend or social mm-hmm. group to have a baby. So tell me a bit about what that was like. Um, it was it was tough. Mm-hmm. It was tougher than one might imagine. Mo- most moms, I don't think, know what they're getting into when they have their first baby. Mm-hmm. Despite whether you're um, going to read every book mm-hmm. on it, you're going to, you know, tap into whatever friendships or uh, anything you have or not. Like, right. it's just going to be different. Um, and so when I held Abigail, I had actually never really held a baby. Mm. I didn't babysit. I have a brother who's eight years younger than me. I'm like, he was not, it wasn't, we, 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 that wasn't a relationship. Sure. You know, like I did not hold babies. So that was like step one. Um, had never changed a diaper. Oh my gosh. Nothing. So this is totally new. Yeah. And same with her dad. And he was 14 years older than me. Yeah. And still hadn't done any of that. Yeah. So it was like very much the blind leading the blind. But you, you know? did it. Of course. Um, but going back to that personality trait of mine, like things are going to work out. Uh-huh. Like that's still my, that was still my thought then. Like, yeah. And as it is now. Like I just... I was like, well, now we have a baby, you know, like we're like, she came everywhere with us. Okay? Uh-huh. Um, but back to your question, it, it was tough. Like did, I did not expect how little sleep you'd get. Uh huh. I didn't expect how difficult breastfeeding would be. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that you thought would come naturally didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we pivot like I, I pivoted like we did bottles. We you know, me and Ricky started, her dad started taking um, shifts mm-hmm. at night, which really helped. Like, I remember one night really early, it was just like, I was so frustrated with her crying all night. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I'm feeling really rageful. Mm-hmm. And Ricky was like, let me take the baby. And he took her out to the den. And I just slept for several hours. Yeah. And from that point forward, it had to be a couple of weeks in. I was like, this is what we need to do. So from that point forward, he took the 7 p.m. to 3 a.m. shift and he just was out on the couch with her and he would feed her and I would just go into the room, watch my shows, um, you know, at that point, like I was 21. So like, you know, Jersey Shore. (laughs) Getting it all in. uh, Yeah, all the like, whatever, reality TV like that I wanted, like, and from that point, like, and I slept 
you know, a good eight hours. That was a great plan. Yeah, we thought so. It worked really well for us. And then I'd wake up at three and I'd take over whenever she woke up at that feeding and I'd take over from three to, you know, seven or eight. And then right. we come back together. Wow. It sounds like, um, I don't know. I don't think that's, I think when people are sleep deprived, they forget about some of these potential solutions uh, or or just ideas. And that's a really, I think, clever one. Well, I think, and this is something, I think what I've realized is that like, I never, I being so young, having a baby, I didn't ever get set into these routines that like other people might have when they had decide to have a family, like the traditional way, like at 30 or beyond, like they are very set in their ways, right? They have their routine. They, they sleep a certain amount of time. They sleep on this side of the bed. They do this every time, like the same way every, every day. I was like, going to a club uh-huh. until 3 a.m. up until I was pregnant. Yeah. You know, like it's like I didn't ever establish that like deep-seated routine. Right. So right. for me, I felt like it was that part was a, was an easier transition. Yeah. Like for me, I didn't sleep regularly as it was. Well, I think you're kind of describing how rigidity makes things sometimes extra tricky. And you <clears throat> came to the table with more flexibility and so, in turn, that might have been an advantage. I th- I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I will say in my relationships, my friends, they, I came fully equipped with a very large and supportive group of friends and family, uh-huh. right? But yet, none of them had had a baby either ever or in a very long time. Uh-huh. So, they supported me the best they could. Mm-hmm. So, there's, and they did for mm-hmm. all intents and purposes. They were there when I needed them and, you know, we, we hung out still, everything like that. But my nightlife definitely changed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but where Abigail could go, Abigail went, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we went to restaurants, like we went to people's houses, like we just kind of lived our lives mm-hmm. in a way like we did before we mm-hmm. had Abigail. Um, so that was cool, but, but lonely at the same time, I'll say, because we didn't, I didn't have that mom friend. Mm-hmm. You know, and that I realized was like something you really need mm-hmm. in early motherhood or in motherhood in general. Mm-hmm. You need a freaking mom. Mm-hmm. So that became like my mission. Yeah. Like find a mom friend. And uh, Ricky did have two friends at work that had just had babies around the same time as me. So we kind of developed a little friendship and that was nice. But, um, you know. Thinking about where you are now, and I'm kind of skipping around a little bit because I'm going to come back to your other children, but I want to think about the difference between your kind of social network then and then now. So I know you as a mom friend and friend period, but I get the sense your world is bigger. Yeah. Friend wise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is bigger. I, a lot of my friends actually chose not to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it, my best friend, namely uh, my sister, she she's decided that's not a path for her. So mm-hmm. a lot of my friends are in the same way, um, the same in that in that way. So yeah. yeah, but I did grow a pretty big mom group as well. Um, and what has that been like to have, say, with now having four children and having kind of a bigger mom group as compared to when you had Abigail and there were fewer mom friends. I think it's good to have that connection. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that 
no matter what I can, I can connect with a mom on some level. Yeah. You know, it doesn't like it's some, some level we can, we can connect and having that understanding of exactly what you're going through and like, just like the grace of having a friend, like that understands Mm -hmm. what it's like to be in this arena is, is very, very valuable to me. Well, I also think you come to the table being able to connect with people outside of being a mom. So I think that is something that you're, that's a strength of yours anyway. So you automatically connect. Um, so that's a nice feature of you. Oh, well, thank you. And connection <laughs> is key for me though. I, and it's interesting that you say that. I think that this having the baby young once again was instrumental in keeping that quality intact. Mm-hmm. And like my claws sharpened in that arena because mm-hmm. I didn't have friends to connect to on the baby level mm-hmm. in person. Um, so I made sure to keep the connections that weren't baby related very strong. Mm-hmm. And I was able to like, which I think was good. Like looking back, like I was able to like keep a part of myself that wasn't a mom intact yeah. because so many people weren't there. Yet. Yeah. That's very a good point. The identity piece um, really remained. Right. It didn't completely leave. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which um, was good. Right. And I think one of the things that happens for a lot of people is identity is compromised. And when it becomes completely all-consuming as um, a mom and you don't have other pieces to you, yeah. it impacts you. It impacts you emotionally. It does. It does. So let's um, switch gears and hear a little bit about some of your other pregnancies. Um, any others have some pennies that were involved or did that low-lying nausea kind of persist, it sounds like, for all of them? So pennies, no. I never got to experience that again, which was kind of disappointing because that was like so weird and I felt <laughs> like a little alien girl who got to experience something cool like that. Um, no, they were all pretty much... They were all good pregnancies. Yeah. They just, they had the same two, actually the the three, um, the next three pregnancies had three things in common, which was the nausea. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Consistent. Consistent through the first, through the first trimester. And I, I ended up actually, for the next three pregnancies, um, I ended up taking Zofran and Finnergan uh, around the clock. Mm-hmm. And that made me feel a lot better. Oh, good. Um, and that was that. That was a like. I found literally. I find that I'm pregnant because I, with these pregnancies, I found out at four weeks each time uh-huh. because I was nauseous. Like I guess the day they implanted. Yeah. I don't know what to say. Yeah. But um. But that that was on board from second one. Wow. You know they'd be like, would you like to try this or have you tried ginger and sea bands? I'd be like, give me the Finnegan, bro. Uh-huh. Like we're not we're not messing with this. So. That's been on board. And then also sciatica. That was something that I had with the next three pregnancies. And that gets worse Uh um, with pregnancies because I guess the relaxin in your body is just like, we know what we're doing and we're all a little bit more gooey. And now you're going to have some pain. Uh, So what did you do about that? Um, So chiropractic Uh um, medicine. We got on board for the think the third the third baby but um prior to that I also had like a like a band that you held oh right your like stomach up with your belly up like the belly Um, bands yeah 
or waistband. Yeah, like looks like like weird like suspenders. Yeah, that, like held like takes the pressure off. Like that was nice with the second baby, and then yeah, chiropractic. I got on board at some point. Did prenatal massage. Um, I did prenatal yoga. Uh huh. Um, and subsequent pregnancies, and that was nice. So yeah. Yeah, and so you mentioned with your first pregnancy, the goal or one of the ideas was to avoid a C-section. Yes. And it also sounds like not utilizing medication was something you were interested in. Yes. Tell me a little bit about how that's gone for the subsequent deliveries. So I wanted it the same. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still wanted unmedicated. It was still my dream. Um, between the first and the second, I actually watched The Business of Being Born mm. documentary with mm-hmm. Ricky Lake. Mm-hmm. And I was even more set on that I just really didn't want the intervention like I really just wanted to experience something primal and um but yet I still didn't train for it and I think that that is necessary I think that you need to prepare for it okay <laughs> I didn't. so let's think a little bit about what happened for you in terms of just disappointment and um how you navigated the feelings of having this expectation or this wish and it not coming to fruition is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, how did you navigate that? Um, I, I think I navigated it. Okay. I don't know. I guess I navigated it. Okay. With, with my second birth, I wanted it, but I kind of got a taste of it because my epidural didn't work mm. on both sides. Okay. Um, which at this point I now know that like it's gravity based and like if you can like switch sides like it can you know go with your body like as you switch like, okay and sometimes it does only affect one side um but yeah so I got to feel a good bit of that and like so I felt when she descended and we called in the doctor and and she came in and I was like it's time to have a baby and or the nurse came in and was like yep she's 10 and then once again, two pushes later, like she was out. Wow. And I, I felt a lot of that, which was awesome, by mm-hmm. the way. I felt as cool as I thought it would. Okay. Like, I mean, it was like I could feel where she was coming out and it was empowering. Yeah. And I remember like the the doctor with that one was so like amazing. Like She was very hands-on, like literally like she was like rubbing my thigh through it. And she was like, this is great. You're doing great. Like she stretched my perineum. Like she, I did not tear um I didn't have an episiotomy like so different than that was great Mm -hmm. um and so when she came out I felt very like much like I had that experience Mm -hmm. though I learned later that it was a fraction of the actual discomfort um of completely unmedicated but it felt like I kind of got a taste of that which I liked Mm -hmm. Uh, afterwards I remember saying I'm a wolf in the delivery room, like, this is my wolf cub. Like, it was very primal, which yeah. I wanted. And I loved it. Um, so that birth was great. Uh-huh. Um, I think I, that that was the first birth that I started to experience, like, anxiety, like, postpartum anxiety really badly with, though. Um, so that went from, like, a high of, like, this is really more along the lines of the birth that I wanted. But, um that's where like the postpartum anxiety set in and that was really bad. So tell me a bit about that. So I started feeling like, um, well, they're just intrusive thoughts Mm -hmm. right after the baby, like feeling like I was going to like drop her or like something terrible was going to happen to meet her or like she was dead. 
all the time. It was great. Mm -hmm. um, and then beyond that, I went back into the workforce, which was a sales position. And I started to have these feelings of extreme unsteadiness where I thought I was going to pass out all the time. Mm. And well, not all the time in really bad situations. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, when I was in a meeting mm -hmm. with like a doctor, like because I sold IV antibiotics, um, like I would just get this overwhelming feeling of like I was spinning and like I was just going to pass out or throw up, which yeah. brings in my other fear. Yeah. Um, and then it was debilitating. And then and then I started developing it when I was driving as well. Uh. So I kept having like pull off the road, like yeah. get on the phone with my husband. And it was ruling my life yeah it was really bad yeah so what did you do um well I had a primary care at the time um who I guess technically is still my primary care doctor but since I've had so many babies like I haven't seen him in legitimately like nine years mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um because I've just been under OB care for right. so long but yeah so I went to him and I told him my symptoms um and he was like, well, I mean, have you tried exercising? Like how he really, looking back, this is a really good approach for him. Like he, he didn't want me to be on medication, mm -hmm. um, which I appreciated that not being the first thing mm -hmm. for me. Um, and so he, you know, he was like, let's try exercise. Let's try um, journaling. Um, and so we tried some really strategies, you know, some strategies to cope with that. Ultimately they didn't, seemed to really put a dent in it. Mm -hmm. um, so eventually I got on Buspar, mm -hmm. which was very effective for me. Um, and I liked that it was non-habit forming, which to me and my brain was a thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Didn't want to experience. Um, and um, that worked great. And so you noticed in taking that, that some of the intrusive thoughts were maybe not there as much, or they were less of um, maybe less debilitating in your day to day? You know, I don't know, like when you say intrusive, I don't know that those, I don't remember when those went away. Uh -huh. The the actual attacks that I was having kind of took front seat at some point uh -huh. where that was what I needed to address. And it did address the actual physical symptoms of the anxiety attacks Got I was it. having. Um, and, and what I liked is that I could take it like as needed. Like if I was going to go to a meeting, I'd be like, oh, take one of my pills and like, yeah. It was helpful and it didn't make me feel numb. I don't like to feel numb um, from things. And yeah, overall, pretty good. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's shift. Uh, we've heard a little bit about pregnancies, some childbirth experiences. Um, let's kind of take a bit of a, a hindsight perspective. You've mentioned things that you would have maybe done differently or have kind of different expectations around or, um, and I'm wondering if there are other things that you feel like in looking back, you wish had, you had known or, uh, maybe just done differently. Um, I definitely wish that I had the foresight to realize how paramount a doula was mm -hmm. in this whole mm -hmm. puzzle, mm -hmm. um, of the pregnancy, labor, delivery, postpartum. Um, because I think that, I think that I would have achieved something that I wanted a lot sooner, which was the unmedicated experience. And that ended up being really important to me still <laughs> with my fourth one, which I finally achieved it in, by the way. Um, it, I, but I can't understate the role of a doula enough. Yeah. 
having the actual emotional support of somebody who understands exactly what you're experiencing at a time where you might not be able to express anything verbally um, for yourself, mm-hmm. but can remind you of what you want. Mm-hmm. Like that is yeah, paramount. Yeah, that's one of my hindsight uh, yeah. moments as well. So you mentioned that you were able to have an unmedicated um, uh, birth. And was that with Beatrix? That was my fourth, yeah. So, yeah, the third one was also medicated. Uh-huh. Um, and that was actually the turning point one. I feel like I have to mention it before mm-hmm. going yeah. into Beatrix. But so it was the turning point of, like, I have to do something differently here. Because it was, like, same thing. You know, expecting different results of doing nothing about it. Like, okay. I didn't prepare again. And um, I went in to have Leo and... And I got the epidural again because I was scared and I didn't know what I was doing and there was no support in the hospital system that I was in. Okay. And um, I remember like, I remember not wanting to push the epidural button a lot because I wanted to experience something. I wanted to feel something. And the doctor came in and this is where I had like my first like traumatic doctor experience. Mm. And he came in being the operative word for me because the first two doctors were female and I connected on a completely different level but this guy did not connect with Mm -hmm. uh he came in and he was like why is she why is she screaming like why is she bellowing like she has an epidural what's wrong with her she's like crank up the volume and I was like I want to feel this brother like get out of my face and um which I remember thinking but I didn't say it Uh because I couldn't say anything and um and I just remember it being a very surreal experience Mm -hmm. he like so as he comes in of course it's time again like the first two like she's like the baby's coming out of course and he like pumps me up on the bed and he does this thing and this is so weird dude he takes a a bowl of betadine and he i'm like eye level with him like Mm -hmm. my oh my vagina is as eye level with him and he is he raises this betadine as if he's like a priest okay and looks up at the like light, the blaring light, and like as if he's like blessing it. It was insane, and he dumps it over me, like over my vagina. Is that typical? It's not typical. I have not heard. This. It's not typical. I've I I've told other people about this, and they're like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, I'm like, yeah. He made my entire area sterile, which is like, or att- attempted to. I don't really know if that's what exactly happens when you just dump betadine on somebody but um more sterile than not mm-hmm. and which to me i was like oh my gosh like, i'm going into this like wanting to you want to have a vaginal birth to make sure they get the bacteria from you coming out mm-hmm. and at this this man has just made the decision to mm-hmm. wash away at least some of it mm-hmm. which was really weird to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um yeah so that was that and then he came out and Two pushes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Flew right out. And yeah, they all come out with little marble heads because <laughs> they are not in there long. Like they just, <laughs> we are out. And, um, but so that was the, that was the experience that I was like, I need to go somewhere else. Uh-huh. I have another baby. Like this is, this is weird. And that was not, I did not feel like I consented to that, um, pr- procedure, whatever that was. Uh-huh. And I also don't feel like I consented to, um, his words mm-hmm. like his just careless bedside manner and mm-hmm. his bedside manner like honestly continued throughout my hospital stay there to be bizarre mm-hmm. like he was obviously experiencing something 
that didn't affect me, but it was very much coming off onto me, which I just don't feel like OBGYNs get to have a bad day, Mm. like a pilot, Mm. like a police officer. You can't bring that into your patient's Mm. rooms. Mm -hmm. And he had a real problem with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so he really affected my experience. I did not like that. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I made the decision after Leo to move to a different practice in a different hospital uh-huh um with, with Adelaide I didn't mention this my second one I didn't breastfeed either because I just was so turned off by the first time of it not working out ah uh, that I didn't breastfeed her either mm-hmm. so those two are bottle fed but Leo we had a beautiful breast two-year breastfeeding experience from like second one mm-hmm. like, he did not take a bottle which was amazing um that was like the best experience of my life um but yeah, with Beatrix, my fourth, I did shift gears and I got to have that experience that I wanted so badly. And I told Nathan, my husband, I was like, if I can't have this experience, like I will have a fifth baby. So just so you know. <laughs> so we it were ended all, here. Uh-huh. We were all on board for this to work out. And it did. Well, so before we finish up, I need to hear that story. Yeah. So let's hear about how it felt for you to have what sounds like was just the epic moment. Epic. Yeah. So this time I, like I said, changed practices, changed changed delivery hospitals, and I prepared. And what that means is I got a doula. I hired a doula. um, And I did a lot of visualization work mm-hmm. um, on my own because what you might know is not know is that it was 2020. Mm. So this is our pandemic baby. Okay. So despite this being like the top priority for me, like having unmedicated, unmedicated birth and like preparing for it, it was a really weird time mm-hmm. to have a baby. Yeah. So all of this work that could have been done, like I like pictured it like at my yoga studio and like going to like classes was all at my house alone. Yeah, that doesn't uh, make it exactly. It probably exactly that was not ideal. What I was like, picturing, but right. it did work out. Um, and um, as we got further into the pandemic, like I was, I was six months pregnant probably when we went on lockdown. And I, I told my doctor, I was like, are what's going to happen here? They're like, oh, it'll pass. It'll pass. You know, everything's going to be open. They only say two weeks. And I was like, okay, great. And then, you know, two weeks later, we're at the point where you, if you have, if you're having a baby, you're having a baby without your partner at the hospital. You're right. having a baby alone. Oh my gosh. So no doula that I paid for, no husband. Right. You're alone. And uh, I was like, this is my worst nightmare. Yeah. Um, That later lifted to as long as you and your partner don't have COVID, you can both be in the hospital. And then that further changed before I had the baby to if you, your partner, and your doula don't have COVID, you can all three be in this hospital. Okay. Now, this hospital is kind of like, the, it was only happening here. Yeah. In Jacksonville, at least. Yeah. Um, other hospitals weren't allowing anybody else in or sometimes, you know, their partner, but not a doula for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so my goal was to labor at home as long as possible. Like I did not want an induction. The other, the subsequent two from Abigail were also induced. Okay. All, all at 39 weeks, by the way. Okay. That was just my journey with that hospital system. Um, I wanted to go to natural labor. I wanted to feel it. I wanted to labor at home and I wanted to have an unmedicated birth mm-hmm. at the hospital. So we set out on that journey. I went into labor at like, this is the story I remember the most because, well, it just sticks out and it's most recent. Um, I went into labor at like 1 a.m. 
finally, after many scares of me just peeing my pants and thinking it was my water breaking, you know, even fourth <laughs> baby, I, I go in, I'd be like, it's time. They're like, you just peed. I'm like, cool. <laughs> cool. I'll just, I'll see myself out. It's fine. Uh, and um, so 1am, I went into labor and I was like, oh my gosh, this is finally different. It's a different contraction. I got this. And I, I timed them and they were coming every, you know, three to five minutes. I went, oh my God, this is it. I woke up Nathan, who was on the couch. I was like, this is it. And I was like, go back to sleep though, because it's going to be a long time, right? And so he went back to sleep. And at like 5 a.m., I was like, okay, they're still subtly coming. So I went back and woke him up again. I'd already had like toast in bed, like, because I still was energized and not feeling badly, hardly at all, except for the contractions, which were starting to amp up. And um, at 5, we called our friends to come over because I wanted a, I wanted a group of women to be there who, like, the, of my choosing to be there yeah like, in the room like in my house like on this journey I even hired a photographer I've, I've seen some pictures yeah well mm-hmm. yeah the, the, that those are pictures but not from the photographer because she didn't make it oh okay <laughs> those are pictures though um so we my doula gets there my friends get there and in between contractions I'm just fine like I'm I'm fine I'm just popping right back up um and then at one point it just changed and it just I never came back up. Like I just was over the side of the couch and just started bellowing and mooing and just mooing, moving back and forth. And it was just like, I never came out of it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how, you know, you're like getting further and um, in the process. And it was great. And um, I remember my doula saying like, I think it's time to Nathan, I guess. I don't know. It was like on the ceiling or something. Mm-hmm. It was really weird. Um, was like, we got to get her to the hospital probably soon, you know, got to start thinking about it. And he was like, oh, you think? And that was just like a switch flipped. And I made it to the car somehow. Like it was like the contractions are just back to back at this point. Yeah. Uh, later, you know, understood that that was transition. Okay. From here to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so Nathan took the longest route on the planet that you could take to get to this hospital, <laughs> which I had mapped out. I'm not, I'm not. A planner by nature, but there's some things, and when it comes to timeliness, like I know how to get there the best way. He took the longest way on the planet. Anyway, so we get there, and I'm like, we can't part. We can't part. So he pulls into like the little, you know, good drop off section. Or cachet. <laughs> I don't know. At the hospital, and um, we both get out. He just leaves the car there. And we, I go and press the elevator button and I get in and he's calling the floor from the phone and my water breaks everywhere. Oh, wow. In the, in the elevator. It was just like a movie moment. And it was so cool. Was it just the two of you in the elevator? Yeah. Uh-huh. I, well, it was also like pandemic, Still like COVID. weird zombie time. Yeah. So like, so I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is it. Like it finally broke. My water broke on my, on its own. It's so mm-hmm. exciting. It was very exciting. Um, but at this point it's like, there was no break. So... They get up to the like second floor and they're like, where's the, oh, there she is. And I am just like echoing through the halls. Uh This nurse and Nathan basically carried me to the room. Like my feet are like barely touching the ground as I'm just like being ushered to this room. They asked me to sit on a, you know, wheelchair. I was like, nah, dog, I'm Uh not sitting. Uh And then um, I got to bypass the COVID test, which I was dreading Mm. because they were like, well, what are we going to do? Didn't have to wear a mask, which I wasn't necessarily dreading that. Maybe for like a long, like a long labor, but didn't have to wear it at all in this situation. 
which is interesting. Um, and I just felt like I was watching myself from the ceiling, just mm-hmm. being like, like just escorted into this room. They told me they were like, okay, um, you know, take off your pants. Like, let's see where you are. You're going to get on the table. Like, I can't. So they took off my pants. I actually had some choice words there, but I won't share. Um, but, um, they took off my pants. They, they had to examine from my first cervical check then and last because they were like, she's 10 centimeters. Wow. And, um, they were like, all right, well, we're like, trying to like sign me in. They're trying to like put like a bracelet on me right. and shit. I'm like, um, no, uh, they're like, <laughs> like none, of, none of the things that they thought they could, they were going, that they were suggesting wasn't going to happen. It wasn't yeah. happening. So I crawled up on the bed and I looked at Nathan and I was like, Nathan, I can't do this. I can't do this. And he's like, you're already doing it. I was like, oh my God. And that's what we trained to say. Ah. That was the thing. Like, you're already doing it. Like, there's nothing you can do. Like, you are right here. There's mm-hmm. no way out. You can only go through. And um, I was like, oh my God, you're right. And like, I, I just gagged. I gagged once. He thought I was going to throw up into his mouth. Uh-huh. And at this point, I didn't care about this, by the way, <laughs> which was kind of funny. Um, And she flew out. Like, flew out. Like, and Nathan, like, pivoted her head onto the bed. And she's just flopping around on the bed. And the doctor, the midwife, doesn't have her gloves on. No one's gowned up. I'm not even a patient in the hospital. Like, oh here we are. Oh, my gosh. And it was just like, okay. And then so I had this thing attached to me and... That was it. I had the unmedicated labor, and a few minutes later, I got to feel what unmedicated stitches felt like. Oh. That was not as exciting, uh-huh. but, um, oh, but an experience yeah. nonetheless. Um, God, I didn't think about that. You don't think about uh-huh. that, but they, the, the midwife looked at me, and she was like, you can say whatever you want right now. You can cuss. You can you can do whatever, but you can't move because oh. I tore not super badly, but I tore. And um, and so she injected lidocaine or whatever. I don't even know. Some kind of numbing agent right into the actual wound. Mm. Yeah. That was very bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that mm. was not good. Um, and, but I was up and walking like after they got me stitched up. I don't know, 20 minutes. That's unreal. Like I didn't. I It was, it was life changing. Mm-hmm. And so I just feel like I'm still like riddled with anxiety. Like I told you, like I have like a baseline of anxiety at all times. But like after going through that, I just don't feel like anyone can tell me I can't do anything Mm. or something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't. I don't feel like that. So even when like I'm like scared or nervous about something, I'm like, I just have to push through this because I already did. Yeah. I've already been here. I've gone to the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me I can't do this. So it was life changing. It was everything and more that I it could have possibly been. Well, it, I'm very happy for you that yeah. you got what it was that you were looking for. And mm-hmm. it sounds like you've just um, had a bunch of different cool experiences, yeah. even when they weren't what you had wished yeah. or expected. Um, and I'm so glad that you shared all that you shared. And um, I'm excited that you have been able to walk through all of this with me. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. This was fun.